many of the current applications of interventional oncology in vet patients are palliative. So the primary goal is to improve the quality of life, causing minimal morbidity. In few cases, we do reach the cure with interventional oncology. And also the palliative treatment might be used in combination with other options such as surgery, radiotherapy and chemotherapy. Welcome to the Vet Times podcast, a concise, topical, clinical and informative podcast from the people at Vet Times. A subspeciality of interventional radiology, interventional oncology is common in human medicine, but also gaining momentum in veterinary medicine. To outline this topic, EBVS recognized specialist in small animal surgery, Daniela Morgia, joins this latest Vet Times podcast. So today we're going to be talking about interventional oncology, and it's a subject Daniela Morgia has written about in issue 10, and I'm delighted to say that she's joining me here on this podcast, and we're going to delve into it in a bit more detail. So welcome to the podcast, Daniela. Oh, thank you. Hello, Paul. How are you? Good, thank you. Yes, and yourself? I'm fine, thank you. My voice is not the best because I have a sore throat, but I hope you will understand. No problem at all. No apologies needed. A lot of bugs going around at the moment, and we're very grateful that you've joined us. So yes, starting off then on this topic, interventional oncology, what is it exactly and in what cases is it generally used? So interventional oncology uh, also, we use also the abbreviation IO, is a subspecialty of interventional radiology that is focused on the treatment of oncology conditions using imaging modalities to direct minimally invasive diagnostic and therapeutic procedures. So we know that uh, cancer is a disease that benefits from multidisciplinary approach to treatment. And nowadays in humans, as well as in veterinary medicine, interventional oncology has been established as uh, the fourth major cancer treatment category, along with surgery, chemotherapy and radiation therapy. So uh, in what case is it, is it generally used? So let's start to say that I am a surgeon, I'm a soft tissue surgeon, and as such, I strongly believe that the surgical resection of tumors is in general the way to go because it offers the best long-term solution. And with certain tumor types, uh, it might also result in, in, in a cure. However, in some cases, uh, surgery is not possible to, due to the size or to, or to the biological behavior or the number or location of the tumor. So some patients also um, might be too weak to sustain an open surgery. And exactly in these patients, interventional oncology treatments can be applied to provide effective and milder forms of treatment. So interventional oncology uh, might be applied to shrink a tumor and therefore to make a surgical or interventional treatment possible when the tumor is smaller, for example. Uh, There are some situations where the interventional oncology might be mainly used. And these are, for example, uh, cases where we 
would like or we want to restore patency uh, to malignant obstructions through endoluminal stenting, for example. So we can think about urethral stenting or endovascular stenting in cases of masses that invade important blood vessels, such as the caudal vena cava, for example. Uh, interventional oncology can also uh, be used to provide something something that is called dose escalations to tumors without increasing systemic chemotherapy toxicities using super selective transarterial chemotherapy delivery, for example. So what does this mean? It means that we deliver chemotherapy drugs to the tumor directly uh, so that the uh, chemotherapy or the drug uh, reaches high concentrations at the level of the tumor and uh, simultaneously we avoid the toxicity of the, of the drugs um, uh, to the system, to the systemic toxicity. Or we can also use interventional oncology, but interventional radiology in general, to stop hemorrhages or reduce the blood flow to tumors, uh, again, via transarterial embolization or chemoembolization. What does it mean? That we just occlude blood vessels with specific substances so that the tumor doesn't receive the blood supply anymore. Or, uh, for example, in case of nasal bleeding, persistent nasal bleeding, for example, we can occlude the blood vessels in the nose to reduce or to stop the, the, the bleeding itself. Yes, and also, last but not least, interventional oncology can provide therapies for those cancers with no safe or effective alternative options. Right. So I think this, I've, I've tried to do made a, like a summary of where we could use the interventional oncology. Right. It's a reasonably widespread in that case then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are some things to consider before interventional oncology is considered as a treatment option? So what are the uh, what are the things that we should consider? First of all, uh, as I mentioned already before, so we should consider whether surgical resection is possible at all, because surgery should be always the first choice, the first thing to try to achieve. Another point to consider is certainly the costs, uh, costs because of the material, because of an interventional procedure might take longer than, uh, than to do surgery, and uh, it, it requires the use of a C-arm, so fluoroscopy, and um, material that is uh, expensive itself, so like uh, uh, catheters and and substances that we use for um, embolizing vessels or the stents are expensive themselves. So this is something that we really need to take in consideration. And also the the, the premises. So if we have the reality where we could do the institution, where we could do this and supporting this. The expectations are another point that we should consider because uh, many of the current applications of interventional oncology in vet patients are palliative. So the primary goal is to improve the quality of life, causing minimal morbidity. Um, in few cases, we do reach the cure with, with interventional oncology. And also the palliative treatment might be used to in combination with other options, such as, again, surgery, radiotherapy, and chemotherapy. Okay. This would be uh, what what I would say in, ter- in terms of things to consider before uh, think about interventional oncology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you touched on this one a bit there. I think you sort of in terms of the outcomes. So very often, 
it's used palliatively, but it can be a cure as well. Is this an area that we're going to see developed, do you think? So interventional oncology is developing right now. So it's certainly established, well established in human medicine. Mm. Uh, in veterinary medicine, it's still at, at the beginning. So uh, there are not many centers in the UK and Europe that use regularly interventional oncology. Certainly, the influx of interventional oncology in veterinary medicine allows clinicians of different disciplines to offer patients advanced treatment options that were previously unavailable in the past or a few years ago. And as I said, this is certainly growing and it will grow in the next future. The outcome of procedures performed using interventional oncology depends on what we are trying to treat or what is our aim, actually. Mm -hmm. So if we think about stenting for tracheobronchial or ureteral or urethral neoplasias, this kind of stenting is usually palliative because the cancer will grow. Even if we support uh, stenting with chemotherapy, the tendency of this type of cancer is to grow and to reobstruct the anatomical structures involved. So the urethral, the urethral, the uh, tracheobronchial are the main clinical cases where we do see stenting, also caval stenting, vena cava stenting as well. Mm-hmm. If we think about colon and rectum and esophagus, for example, so these kind of stenting are not very frequent. And for the colorectal stenting, for example, There have been described three patients, two cats and one dog in literature until now. One cat died after 19 days and the other two patients, so the one cat and one dog, actually survived nearly a year, but then the disease progressed. So um, this is to say that colorectal stenting can have some kind of good outcome in terms of palliation, not very significant side effects, let's say like that. The use of esophageal stents in companion animals instead is controversial because it's associated to severe complications. And then there is the big group of the transarterial embolization and chemoembolization, so where we are going to obstruct or close blood vessels, feeding the tumors to stop the growth of the tumor, or to end together to the a transarterial embolization, we could add the delivery of chemotherapy to try to fight the tumor locally. And these are well-established treatments modality in humans and in veterinary medicine, they are also developing. And I'm thinking about in particular to hepatocellular carcinomas, in so carcinomas in the liver, if these kind of tumor are not resectable and we have a definitive diagnosis following a biopsy, then we could consider to do uh, arterial chemoembolization, so to deliver the chemotherapy to the liver tumor to cause basically necrosis. And, and this is not too bad. The outcome is promising. Embolization, transarterial embolization is used also for urinary bladder cancer and prostatic cancer as well, because we, we know now that for the urinary bladder uh, transitional cell carcinoma, uh, surgery is not indicated anymore. So there are other ways to treat it, including the transarterial embolization, for example. All in all, 
the palliation and the fact that we are delivering chemotherapy drugs at a higher concentration to the tumor, reducing the systemic side effects, this is already a good outcome in terms of like a, a good result. So in terms of complication in the patient, yes. I don't know if I have answered the question properly. Absolutely. That was some great yeah. information. Thank you. So, yeah, sounds like a really interesting area, this. What sort of resources or references could you suggest to vets wanting to find out more about this? Obviously, we've mentioned your article and there's some references in there. Yes, this is uh, an interesting question because there is not much written in veterinary Mm. medicine. There is a lot in human medicine, a lot in terms of papers and articles. For veterinary medicine, there are a couple of books that I would recommend. So one is the second edition of the Veterinary Surgical Oncology book by Wiley and Blackwell. And in this book, there is a nice chapter on interventional oncology. And then there is the Veterinary Image-Guided Interventions, which is a book by Chick Weiss and Alison Berendt on interventional radiology in general, but In this book, there are also procedures of interventional oncology treated. And then I would say there are two persons in the world that are at the moment the most experienced in interventional oncology. Uh, One of these is Bill Kalt, and he works at the UC Davis in California. And he is writing good articles. There is also a nice review on the Veterinary Clinic of North America uh, for small animals on interventional oncology. And also Chick Wise is also the second person that is very into this. He has written many articles. So I think these are the main sources that I would look at, yes, to have more information. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Thank you for joining the Vet Times podcast and we'll speak again hopefully. Oh thank you. Thank you, Paul. This was a pleasure. That's it for Vet Times podcast this time. Thanks to our guest. If you like what you've heard, tell your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. But for now, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>